Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello and welcome to my time capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where people tell me the five things from their life, four things that they cherish, and one that they'd like to forget, that they wish they had in a time capsule. And that's what we talk about. My guest in this episode is Nuruddin Chowdhury. Nuruddin, also known as the Bearded Genius by his 170,000 Twitter followers, or ex-followers, no, they're not ex-followers, they still follow him, is an author, journalist and broadcaster, and one of the most prominent commentators on all things Manchester United. That's why I like him, as well as a lot of other random things that interest him. He's worked for the Red Issue fanzine, and written for The Mirror, The Guardian and others about football and not about football, as you'll discover during this conversation. Nuruddin was creative director at Joe, covering and writing about subjects like politics, culture and social issues, with articles such as why the BBC needs to stand for backing black comedy and why war rhetoric around COVID-19 was an insult to every avoidable death. His book, Inshallah United, is a journey celebrating the importance of identity and place, discussing what it was like being an Asian Mancunian kid in the late 1980s and 90s. It's a deeply personal story of faith and football that charts his life growing up as a strictly halal Stretford Ender, a devout Muslim and a die-hard Red. Inshallah United is available now. And clearly, Nuruddin is much more than just a football fan and writer. So let's discover what he'd choose from his life to have in a time capsule. I think you're going to like this one. Here is Nuruddin Chowdhury. Hello. Nuruddin. How are you? All right? Yeah, good. How are you? I'm very good. 
I'm glad to see a little bit of the beard coming back from the bearded genius. You know, it's, it seems somewhat wrong to be calling you the bearded genius and you sit there clean shaven. That's not right. I uh, I love the way that uh, people always take exception to the bearded bit, but then the genius bit. Yeah, that, that, we'll we'll take that. But... We'll accept that. Yeah, <laughs> you've thrown a curveball, haven't you? Put bearded first and then be clean shaven. That will distract people for the fact that clearly. <laughs> yeah. It's my Trojan horse. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I heard a previous episode where you apparently had a had a big beard. Is that, is, is that all gone? Yeah, yeah. Until quite recently, I had a big right. white beard, which meant that nobody was casting me every time I turned up. They're obviously <laughs> waiting for a recast for Only Fools and Horses for Uncle Albert. But <laughs> it didn't work. Anyway, I've decided I'm going to change my Twitter handle to Black Haired Greatest Actor in the World. <laughs> Did the colour of your hair change quite early in life? Or... Yeah, absolutely. Early 20s, it was there. I was already going peppery. Like uh, Steve, Steve Martin, that similar thing happened to him, didn't it? Same thing. I think actually a lot of men, yeah. we don't talk about it because a lot of men dye their hair. Right, yeah. Which may bring me on to talk about something that I noticed you did recently. You know, So, I mean, you're not just, I mean, you're famously Manchester United and you write about Manchester United, you've written a book about your involvement with United and its history and your family and everything. But yeah. you're not just that. It's very easy to label you as the Man United writer, which is yeah. a bit unfair, I think. Well, I mean, it's... Uh... I mean, I, I I I started off uh, writing about football, and and that's what I did. But um, it's one of those things where a I've, I've just got different interests, but also it got to a stage where I was regularly going to games um, mm. as, as part of the press, especially at Manchester United. Yeah, um, and obviously you see the same faces again and again. Perfectly fine people, but um, I get talking to them. I think like I think these are lovely people, but like they're not they're not really my people. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because so many people who cover football are so blinkered about it. They're so obsessed. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. But um, it's it's never been who I am. And any interest that I take in football, as much as I, I love the action on the pitch, it's it's all the other things. It's, a, it's the culture around it. Even, even the way I enjoy football, I look forward to the game, but I look forward to my friends. I look forward to the atmosphere. I look forward to meeting up before and afterwards um mm-hmm. it's the smells it's the atmosphere that's everything that interests me and uh anyone who is focused purely on what's happening on the pitch that's fine yeah but it's never been what i'm about no i'm sure it's not what football's about no people can go week after week after week if it was only about the pitch then you'd in the end get fed up if your team kept losing that's completely it but you don't you don't you love them you still love them and you love their pies that's what it is almost. <laughs> that's it, that's it. It's, oh, it's the smells. It's the frying of the onions around the around the ground that you that, that you know they're they're clogging up so many arteries, but but it's just it's part of the game and it's it's all synonymous with it. And I, I also think if you were to ask somebody what their greatest memory of, about football is, they'd say a goal or they'd say a particular game. But mm-hmm. then if you properly delved into it and found out what they loved and 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 what they cherished, it's those um personal connections you make it's it's that feeling of going with your dad or it's that feeling of going with a friend i think that's what ultimately it's all about it's it's about making those connections and sharing it with someone i'm i i'm so jealous of people who can go on holiday on their own because because i would Hmm. love to do that but um 
part of the reason why I don't is because if I experience something special or I see something special, I want to do it with somebody else. I want, I want, I want to share it with somebody else. And I think yeah. that's how I feel about football. So, mm-hmm. but like in, in, in terms of football, um, obviously with the, with the lockdown around, uh, around COVID, we had the perfect example of what football would be without fans. And it was, it was sterile. It was rubbish. Yeah, quite. But I mean, hopefully, as we talk through the things that you've got to put in your time capsule, we'll discover those, the reasons you love things and what takes you right back to the beginning of it. It's yeah. difficult because I have to admit that having been a lifelong Man United fan myself, I'm really one of those people who I don't make the commitment. My commitment is that about 10 minutes before the game starts, I dash to a pub. It's not really putting the effort in, is it? I mean, it's it's a it's a personal thing, isn't it? I mean, for a lot of people watching it at the pub, is is is, is special in its own way. It's it's that thing of uh, making it a ritual and 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 having your place, and and that that place can be at the ground, that place can be at home, it can mm-hmm. be at the pub. I uh, one thing I I love is and. There always tends to be this idea of like, oh, if you need to be a local fan, you need to be from the area, and I think that's I think that's unfair for all sorts of reasons because people inherit clubs and, and mm-hmm. all sorts. But but one thing I love is when I see, I take it for granted I could practically walk to Old Trafford and I can go to games pretty much when I like. But there's people in India, in Africa, in all parts of the world, yeah, who may never get to go, but will wake up at, at two o'clock in the morning or five o'clock <laughs> in the morning to watch a game and. Yeah. And 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 that's that's its own kind of devotion, and they will have their own places to go to. They will have their own people to share it with. It won't be at the ground, but it will be it will be just as special to them. Yeah, yeah, the passion's still there, isn't it? Just as strong. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, brilliant. Okay, Nuruddin, let's let's talk about the things you've chosen to put in a time capsule and see what comes up as we do it. So, um, what's your first thing? Well, the first one is is probably a box set, but it's. Uh, it represents more than that, I suppose, because it's it's essentially a box set of Jimmy Stewart films. Right. How lovely. Um, it's the Philadelphia story. It's Shop Around the Corner. It's A Wonderful Life and mm-hmm. Harvey. And I love those films and I love Jimmy Stewart, but more generally, it's black and white films of a certain era and watching them when it was raining outside when I was a kid. Yeah. There was there was something magical about that, and it's weird because as a kid, I shouldn't have been into because because they're not not really films for kids, but I loved them, and they're so evocative of a time in my in my life when those films used to be on on like BBC Two and Channel Four all the time. Yeah, and my dad used to love them, and I just find them so. I mean, cosy feels like it's a backhanded insult because <laughs> you got, it feels as if it's fluffy and it's it's not got much meaning, but. I love those films because they've got so much heart. They've mm. got they're so atmospheric and and uh, and yeah, it's, it's it's that comfort of feeling as if you're in a safe, happy space and you just you can just sink into a, a really good film. Yeah, they're interesting, aren't they? Because in a way, you're falling in love with small town America, but really, what you're falling in love with is kindness and thoughtfulness and community. Uh, yeah. Those films often represent that. And a film like Harvey, really, I suppose, is about somebody who sees the world a different way and is sort of rejected by everybody else and, and ridiculed in a, in a way. Somebody who's an outsider, and yet eventually it shows that that person is not the outsider. That person is seeing the world as it really is. 
It's an extraordinary film, I think, Harvey. It is. I love those four films. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. I just, uh, I could watch it any time. Yeah. Obviously, it's a, it's a Christmas film, but A, I love it, and B, I think people forget how dark it is, uh, and which, which I also love. Yeah, and how long that darkness goes on. It's oh, only completely. about the last, what, five, six minutes of the film where things are redeemed. Oh, completely. Where the goodness comes back, you know. Yeah. And in a way, the fact that you've been held on for so long in that world, thinking that nothing's going to get better, it just gets worse and worse and worse, and everything that he improved in his life has disappeared because of, because he's not there anymore, it never existed. And to, they show that in such depth, don't they? That's it. And uh, there's even a moment when, uh, I mean, I think we're past the uh, statute of limitations in terms of spoilers, but like there's a, there's, <laughs> there's a bit, there's a bit where he, where he stops somebody killing themselves and it's yeah. very dark and, and it, and it, and it's dark in terms of not only are the circumstances dark and, and the desperation of being in debt, but also it's that um, feeling of you've let all your chances in, in life pass you by and you've made mm -hmm. sacrifices and you were, you kind of had to make those sacrifices because because he's a good person. But then there's that regret of like, have I wasted my life? And yeah, it's it's, it's so dark. But the reason why it's such a special film is you need to experience that darkness to get the happiness of the relief at the end. He even thinks that he's ruined his wife's life. And there know, they are yeah. with these gorgeous children in this house. And it, the fact that the hand, the, the knob keeps coming off the stairs. And he, in the end, he just can't bear that anymore. Look what I've given you. Nothing. Nothing. You could have been, you could have married my friend who was, you know, who's gone on to be a millionaire and he's a very incredible. That's the life you could have had. We all go through that at certain points. We oh. all think, I've wasted my time, I've wasted my life, and I've let other people down. And actually, if you talk to those people, they say, no, you haven't. No, no, I think about this. It, it's a very powerful film for that reason. But the thing I love about it is, as you say, that central performance from Jimmy Stewart in all those films. His performing style is unique. Uh, if if you do well, what I've just done there, strangely enough, if when you're doing filming, you say a line and you stumble over it, quite often they'll say, do you want to do that again? Because in a way, as an actor in a film, you're supposed to speak clearly and cleanly and get everything right. And he, all the, I, 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 I'm, I'm, that's what he does. He's got this almost a stutter, but actually just a hesitancy that is really endearing and really beautiful. And the fact that that becomes the major part of his performing is how the sincerity works, I think. Oh, yeah, and, and, and he's, he's, he's such a contradiction in so many ways because <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's, he's a very good-looking man, but he's also got that everyman feel about him. Yeah. He's obviously very tall, but then he makes himself, rather than sort of being imposing, he makes himself gangly and almost <laughs> awkward. Yeah. Uh, like you like, say, the, the stuff is a... A massive thing and yeah he's he, it's a combination of, of being able to be very sweet and funny but also um like a seriousness in terms of of, of having a, a basic level of integrity mm. and that's beautiful and um but, 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 but going back to what you said about harvard I, I couldn't agree more and, and you've you've really got to the soul of the film because it's that idea of this person needs to realize that they're wrong and they need to realize that this is the real world and mm -hmm. you need to grow up or you need to sort of wake up and why yeah he's he, he's he's a happy good person who is profound in his own way and he's full of pathos in in his own way there's a, there's a scene that i love where 
he talks about um, how his how his mother used to say to him, "You need to be oh so smart in this life, or oh so pleasant." <laughs> and he says, and he, and he says, for years I was smart, and I recommend pleasant, and <laughs> and that that is so profound in so in so many ways. And I think we we, we do it. We all do that. We all we all want to be smart. We always want we all want to be seen as witty or mm-hmm. or sort of sharp or in the know. But what does that do? And is, even in relationships. It's that thing of like, do you always want to be, want to be right in an argument? Do you always want to win an argument, or do you want to show the person love, show the person understanding, make the person happy? And and that's not to sort of like tell somebody they're right when they're wrong, but it's it's about it's life's not a competition. Life is connections, and the the end of the argument can either end with with, with two people having vented how they feel and understanding how they feel mm. and appreciating that, or it can end in one person feeling as if they've won the argument and the other person feeling that they've lost the argument. And if you love that person, do you really want them to feel like that? (laughs) Yeah. But of course, in an argument, most people just want to get their point across. The problem is, are you willing to listen to the other person's point? That's always a difficult side of it. And in a way, that is the giving over to people saying, all right, look, I, I think I'm right. I'm fairly sure I'm right. And I'm fairly sure you're wrong. But Go on, tell me what it is you really believe. Because there must be a reason for it. There must be a reason for them having that strong belief. Totally. And, it is. and, and again, like it, like it's in, in other aspects of life as well. Of If you encounter somebody who is staunchly, say say you are in favour of staying in the, in the EU and somebody is staunchly in favour of Brexit, or say you see immigration into this country as a really positive thing, which mm-hmm. sort of enriches the culture and enriches this, the community. And it's, it's just the basically a humane right thing to do. And you get somebody who disagrees with you. I'm not saying you allow them to feel like that and don't, don't sort of, uh, sort of challenge that, but you must always, always have a, a, an understanding that they think that way because of reasons. And yeah. some of, some of that will be the, 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 the things they were subjected to when they grew up or the opinions they inherited from their family or mm-hmm. the, the, the press that they read on, a, on, a, on a every day, which they trust. And secondly, there's got to be a part of you again, that would like them to in a small way, understand what you're saying and take on board even 1% of what you're trying to give them rather than, rather than sort of like saying you're just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a success, I think, actually, if you get someone to listen and they take on a small element of it, because nothing changes dramatically. I don't think people's opinions, they go, do you know what? Everything I've ever thought is wrong. You're right. Yeah, well done. I'm going to change everything I think now. People don't do that, but they might. And I think experience shows this because we all do it. And if we look back on our own life, we sort of go, do you know what? I was really certain about things when I was 21. And now I'm nowhere near as certain about any of them. And in a way, an argument shouldn't end with one person winning and one person losing. It should work if one person is able to see the other person's point of view, not necessarily agree with it, but they can see where it comes from. That's completely, and, 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 it, and it comes down to having a basic belief in humanity. If, if you if you have a belief in humanity and you see humanity in everyone, and again, and again like that, I, I, I'm more than happy to be very... Uh, robust in my arguments to, to people who I think are out of order. And, and mm. but um it's about just believing in people. And again, like like going back to Harvey, uh there's an amazing scene. And if you if you search Harvey and Ali scene, mm. uh there's there's a scene in an in a, in, a, in an alleyway where um he's talking to two medical professionals who've been looking for him. 
Mm. And he's talking about how he met Harvey, which is this eight-foot rabbit that only he can see. Um, and I'm well done for explaining that, because if anybody's not seen the film, they won't have the faintest idea what we're talking about. But it is about a man who has an eight-foot white rabbit as a best friend and talks to him all the time, and nobody else can see it. No. And it's, it's they think it's like saying, well, I'm here with Father Christmas, can't you see him? Yeah, exactly that. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so, so these, these two medical professionals are looking for him. They find him in an alleyway. And they start talking to him, and they they ask him how how he met Harvey, and he explains to them he met him in a bar once, and obviously, obviously, like from their point of view, they're thinking, okay, he had too much to drink, and mm-hmm. he, he like he saw this giant rabbit, um, and there's a bit where where they ask, how did you realize he was called Harvey, and he <laughs> says something like he he asked him what his name was, and then Harvey said, well, what's your favorite name? <laughs> and he said, Harvey. And he goes, well, what a coincidence, that's my name. Yeah. And then the doctor, because it's a doctor and nurse, the doctor very gently says, can I ask what your father's name was? And there's a long pause uh, uh, for comedy effects. And he says, Jeff. And then, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the doctor again then says, did you have an imaginary friend when you were little? Like, uh, And he goes, yeah. And he goes, and what was he, his name? And again, it's a different name, not Harvey. Yeah. And then he says, so you've never met anyone called Harvey? And then, and again, th- this is how profound the film is. Jimmy Stewart's character says, no, until I met Harvey, I never met anyone called Harvey. And maybe that's why I, I had such high hopes for it. Uh-huh. And it's such a lovely line. Mm. And, and and again, it points to this belief in humanity and and this hope in humanity. And, and it's this thing of like, anyone you meet for the first time or anyone you know, they've got the capacity to be good. And I think I think that's something that runs through the whole film. But it's also coincidentally, I think I think it's something that runs through the the, the films that I've mentioned and Jimmy Stewart's sort of career, like in, in general, of, of this idea of um, of just believing in in the goodness of humanity in an, in an imperfect world. Yeah, and they're not afraid of poetry and actually being quite romantic about things. They don't underestimate the intelligence of the audience. I think that's the extraordinary no. thing about those films because they were being made for working-class American people, and yet they have references in them to all sorts of extraordinary things and beautiful poetic phrases. In um, It's a Wonderful Life, doesn't he say, I'll throw a rope around the moon and catch it for you? Yeah. Which is just, I mean, it's just the most romantic thing you can ever think of. And in a way, it wouldn't come out of the mouth of that man, but it does, it does. You absolutely believe it. It doesn't sound mm. ridiculous. I, I think, again, that points to the to the skill of, Jimmy Stewart, because yeah. in the hands of, of of another actor, the lines could seem so hack and so weird and so strange, but 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 from him, it just feels so honest and true. Yeah, every time uh, a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. You sort of go, yeah. really? That just, yeah. it's just the most beautiful thing. It's that laughing at it as well, laughing at it later when his daughter repeats it right at the end of the film and she says, oh, Daddy, a bell. And every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And he goes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And he knows it's right. But again, but again, like, like we talk about how dark the film is and then you've got the lightness at the end. We've been through all the cynicism. We've been through him saying it's all rubbish and life is life is terrible. And the fact that he that he believes it in the end isn't that he's had his eyes clouded. It's that it's, he can see for the first time. He can real he he realizes the power of hope. Mm. 
by the way, this whole conversation, you've convinced me that you should star as, uh, as in the lead role in, in a in a theatre production of Harvey. Oh, God, I'd love to do that. That would be amazing because you, you'd be perfect for it because, because again, you, you, you've got this um, gentleness to you. Oh, well, that's very sweet of you. It's funny you should say that. I don't think I've seen that film very often, yeah. but um, just occasionally I've stunned that thing of doing uh, my, my friend Harvey. Yeah. Have, have you met my friend this is Harvey. And, and I, ever, ever I hear the name Harvey, I can't resist saying it. It's so beautiful the way he does it. Anyway, there we are. All right, look, yep. enough of me <laughs> playing Jimmy Stewart's parts. I should be so bloody lucky. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put that in. That's a beautiful yeah. choice. Those lovely films. And uh, I recommend anybody to watch uh, any of them. Well done. Okay, right, that's the first item. So what's yeah. number two? Uh, number two, I'm not even sure what I'd call it. But it's, I don't know if it's that sort of thunderbolt or that movement in your seat when you are surprised by talent and you're excited by talent. <laughs> and it's that is most powerful when you're least expecting it. Mm -hmm. So I get it a lot. Well, I don't get it a lot, but I've got it most in football mm. where you will see a young player come on or even a player from abroad that you don't know much about and, yeah. and, and you see them for the first time and they do something or sometimes it can be a, a first touch mm. and then you think, whoa, like <laughs> this, this player's got something and it happens in football. And, and I suppose, I suppose sport is such a, an easy way to see it. It's so obvious when that thunderbolt hits you, but it also happens in things like, cause, cause I am a big fan of comedy, life comedy, especially mm. And I, I always enjoy going to see comedians on the circuit, but also I enjoy going up to Edinburgh. And, and I do I, I do write about sort of acts that I, I, that I like. And um, mm. I love it when you go to, go up to Edinburgh and you've kind of heard a bit of a buzz about somebody or just somebody's recommended someone that you don't really know very well. And you go to see them in a tanker, like in, in a small sort of tin can or, <laughs> yes. or like a basement. Yeah. And you kind of go there with an open mind and within the first few minutes or the, sometimes even the first line, you kind of think, oh, it makes you say, oh, you kind of think, oh, this is mm. exciting. Like this is someone who's got something. And I've discovered it right at the beginning. I well, mean, yeah. it's, a, it's an exciting thing is that, well, you'll know from the list of people that I've spoken to on this, that I'm also very keen on that. I love the idea yeah. that you find people at the beginning of their career, people, other people don't know, and you're able to, show through talking to them just how delightful they are i mean often i think that skill as a comedian comes from the fact that they just are people who see the funny side of things they enjoy seeing humor in things yeah and that's a really pleasant quality to have i think so did you go up to edinburgh this summer i did i i, I did and, and funnily enough um one of those people who gave me that feeling this year is is, is somebody you've spoken to i think uh, uh daniel fox yeah, he's fabulous, isn't he? He is. You instantly recognise it. He's got, he's so personable and so clearly intelligent, but actually is also completely willing to admit that he doesn't know something or doesn't understand something. Absolutely. And and, and the thing is, so, so, so I, I'd seen clips of, of Daniel Fox. I'd seen things he'd done and very funny, very personable, um, very talented. Like his musical talent mm. is, is, is there for all to see. And there was there was two aspects of his show that sort of made me feel oh this is this something's happening here is is, is, is <laughs> there was moments when he sat down uh, at the keyboard and he was he was he was singing songs and playing the keyboard and uh, he seemed to get even though they were very funny songs he seemed to 
sometimes you see somebody perform and they almost elevate above themselves and glow. It's it, it, they. It, it's almost as if they're in their own world and they <laughs> they go somewhere else. And and he had that. But then he'd get up off the keyboard and he and he talk and he would again be very funny. But mm. the the other the other thing that made me think this is this is someone special is because. He could have lent on that. He's he's extremely funny and he, he's extremely talented performer, like on the keyboard and singing. So the whole show could have been that. But then he got up and then he started to talk about um, growing up in a very yeah. funny way, but in in a very true way about being bullied essentially when he was when he was young for being gay. Mm. And uh, he did it in such a skillful way, which was so funny and so moving that I, sometimes you just see somebody like that and you kind of think. If I got the most rampant homophobe in this room now and, and sat them down and made them watch it, I couldn't believe that their mind wouldn't be changed by something so funny and so true and so um, raw in terms yeah. of in, in terms of explaining what happened. And 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 I think I think that that sort of points to how amazing art can be. It's a brilliant thing, isn't it, that you do yeah. think that almost every time you see those things. You think, well, actually, one of the reasons that people don't know this and don't yeah. agree is just simply because they haven't seen it. I've spoken a number of times to people about education, and I just think that actually knowledge and experience, I don't mean education in the sense of learning all your numbers and that sort of thing. I, I mean it in the sense of, of seeing the possibilities in the world because you've been shown them. Absolutely, and and and, 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 and again, like... Obviously, you mentioned that I that I've, I've written a book about about United. Mm. Inshallah, United. Yeah, yeah, it's in, a great Inchala title United. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as much as I wanted to write a book that was good and and hopefully funny and hopefully meaningful, the overriding intention for that book was to reach people who wouldn't usually be reached in other ways. So I hope mm -hmm. people would would buy it and read it as a book about United in a particular era, in their most successful era of the history, and yeah. and they'd enjoy it for that. But then they'd also read about a couple that came over from Pakistan and they had to start a new life and any qualifications or education that they had previously did not matter. They had to start from the bottom mm -hmm. and they had children who were kind of in this in-between sort of a world of their home life is very Pakistani and the world outside is is, is very... Manchester. <laughs> yeah, in my case, very Mancunian. Yeah. And obviously a big part of my identity is being Muslim. And I think... I think so much Islamophobia comes from people who have never met a Muslim or yeah. the only thing they understand about Muslims is what they've read in papers or certain papers or seen in certain films or on certain TV shows. And it would be amazing if, if, if somebody could pick up that book as, as, a, as a United book and then understand, like get to know me through the book and realise that there's so many similarities. They happen to be Muslim. I happen to be atheist or Catholic or whatever. And and yet there's, there's so many things that I've got in common with this person because we're excited about the same thing. We get mm -hmm. upset about the same thing. We react to losing people in the same way. And and that's what I hope to do with the book. And and again, I, I think that's what great stand-up can do, great music can do. Mm -hmm. And I think I think there's very few things that can cut through and touch people. And it's and I I always feel that it's it's always most powerful when it's wrapped up in something enjoyable or pleasant because then it's easier for somebody to consume it 
Yeah, you don't want to be lectured at. People don't want to be lectured at, particularly people who think they're right and sort of go, well, I don't need to be told anything else. I've worked it all out now. And I know it. And I know you bloody immigrants coming over. You're taking all our jobs and you're ruining everything. And, you know, anyway, what are you doing being a Man United fan? Because we're all supposed to be from Manchester. And you go, well, I am from Manchester. Exactly, yeah. Those are sort of arguments you wouldn't have because they wouldn't, in a way, either discuss it with you. They might shout it at you, but they wouldn't discuss it with you. And that's the difficult thing. So you, it's a brilliant thing, I think, to, in a way, sort of go, well, it's all there, all the stuff you love about United winning everything, winning the treble. Yeah. It's all there. Barcelona's there. But also, it's from my point of view. I can have this completely different lifestyle, but it doesn't mean that I can't have something that we share. That's exactly it. And um, one of the things that I've been slightly surprised, I mean, I expected the book, hopefully, in certain ways, to touch people in certain way, in, 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 in certain ways. But one, one bit that I was slightly surprised by is um, my relationship with my dad was uh that he was very strict with me and 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 not in a not in a horrible way but but just in a distant way and mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that came from a traditional sense of what a dad should be and yeah. and, and 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 also this idea of i'm so busy trying to make this life i'm so i'm so stressed about being in this new world that i've i've just not got time to to sort of it almost feels like a luxury to spend time with your kid and and yeah. and sort of create that bond. And I write about the book that, that like he he, he kind of died before I got to be an adult as well. And I, and I think I think there's a, there's a there's a special there's a special thing that can happen when you are an adult as well as your parent because then something breaks away and something mm-hmm. disappears and you can you, you'll never be complete friends, but a friendship grows that was never there because it couldn't be there. Because because mm. because there was a divide of generations, uh, particularly if the idea of the father is one they've inherited from theirs, which is that I have to be distant because I have to be the person who does discipline, so I can't be your mate. That's exactly it, and and so, so I wrote about that. And my dad, sort of towards the end of the book, uh, he does die when I was a teenager, and I thought that was a very sort of personal thing to me. And it might be interesting to people, but I, w- I was amazed at how many people have specifically uh, connected to that and said like oh, the thing that I particularly enjoyed was was the bit about your dad because I really relate to that. And I'm not Muslim, not Asian. I'm from the West of Ireland or my family have, have been in this country for generations. Like we're as Anglo-Saxon as you can possibly be. And yet yeah. I, I related to that so much. So, so it's things like that where it's amazing how things like that can connect with people in a way that you just didn't realise. Yeah, inshallah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. I've never understood why people wouldn't look at people who've come from the other side of the world, given up everything they know, everything they find familiar and comforting, and gone to a completely alien world and had to, as you say, start from the bottom, work their way up in order to produce a better life for their children, for you. It's an astonishing thing to do, I think. And so I can't see how you can't look at that and just have admiration for it. Yes, it's so tough. Like, no one wants to leave their home home country. There's such a indelible connection and profound connection to where you're from mm. and where you grew up. And, and, and we all get lost in nostalgia. And ironically, some of the people who are most bigoted are obsessed with nostalgia. And, yeah. and you kind of think... If if you are that obsessed with nostalgia, can you not imagine that these people who have come from around the world? Do you not think they're nostalgic about where they came from? And do you not do you not, do you not think that they wish that they could go back? And and it's sometimes it's, sometimes it's impossible, and sometimes it's just that place doesn't exist anymore. There's either been a war there, or circumstances have changed, and 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 it's almost a case of there's 
when people leave a certain place, especially if it's if it's due to war or it's due to poverty or all sorts of uh, geopolitical uh, situations, mm. when they're leaving that at that point, they know that there's no going back in yeah. terms of this place might exist in terms of a piece of land, but this community or this world that I'm leaving now, it won't exist anymore. No. Interestingly enough, to go back almost full circle to what we were talking about, one of the people I spoke to very early on in this podcast was Zahir Shah, who has just won what the equivalent yeah. of the Perrier Award in Edinburgh. So he's won the best show in Edinburgh, which yeah. is an amazing thing to do. But I always believed he would get to that point because I've always liked his work. But he talked about that thing of going back to India and going to a bar with his friends or being in a in a club or whatever and feeling like the outsider he said it's strange because for the first time in his life he's in a place and he realizes that the odd thing about it is that he's not the only indian person there but also he feels a bit like an outsider because he's come from britain so he sort of never can quite fit back into no where he's come from that's that's completely it. If you if, if you leave a, a certain country and settle in another and especially your kids are born there Mm. It's such a tragic situation if if that child is not seen as part of where they are now, but then is also not seen fully as part of where their parents came from. So where mm. do they belong? Like where where's the place that they can comfortably say, This is my home and and this is where I belong and I'm accepted. So yeah, it's it's, it's such a it's I think it's a unique thing. I think I think that the I think immigrants that make that step and and um move somewhere else incredibly brave and they sacrifice so much and they've got they've got to work so hard but mm. i think i think also the first generation that are born in a new place they've almost got their own unique challenge that they have to overcome and mm. but again like like uh, looking at the positive side of things as pointless and ridiculous as it may seem to be obsessed with something as unimportant as football it's incredibly important because because you've got a re- when I got into football, I had ready-made friends. I had a ready-made community that accepted me far more than communities as a whole because it was a case of we don't care where you're from, we don't care what colour your skin is. Uh, yeah. You're a United fan. Yeah, you got the right scarf on. Yeah. Exactly. exactly <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic thing, but I that joy of watching somebody do something extraordinary and realizing that they have a, a almost a unique talent is a fantastic feeling, isn't it? And it doesn't have to be your own team, particularly with football. When it comes out of the blue is the thing. So I I would cite Gaza getting that ball on the edge of the penalty area, flicking it over someone's head and volleying it in the goal against Scotland as being yeah. one of those moments where you go, well, that's sort of godlike, really. There's an amazing thing that happens at a football game occasionally where a player will do a piece of skill or control a ball or, mm-hmm. or or perhaps even score a goal. And and it's not even a cheer. It's not even sort of like a shout of appreciation. It's a gasp. Yeah. Everyone has that ga- Everyone kind of does a gasp at the same time. And, to, <laughs> and that's to, both to hit- sides, both sets yeah. of supporters, yeah. But it's 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 something that you don't mean to do. <laughs> and it's not planned, and and it, and on its own, one person doing a gasp, it's barely audible, but yeah. you hear tens of thousands of people gasp at once, and it's an amazing thing. But it can happen at the most inconsequential and random of moments, like controlling a ball or like just turning a player, and then you, again, it's those these those moments that you kind of think, oh, we've just shared something here, and it's and it's a bit special. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, let's put that wonderful moment into the time capsule. That's moment number two. Well, it's not moment number two, it's thing number two, but um, it's a brilliant thing. Twice you've made me want to just sit and think about it, which is lovely. <laughs> okay, Lord Dean, let's, uh, let's move on to number three. Okay, the whistle's gone. We've reached half time where we try to sell you things, not pies, of course. Well, I don't know, there might be adverts for pies. Anyway, so far, United have typically let a couple of early goals in, but seem to have woken up in the last 10 minutes and have pulled a goal back. Let's see how things go after the break. See you then. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back. Now, while you've been gone, the referee has reviewed the first half, so the second half will start with three VAR awarded penalties for Manchester United. Obviously. Only football fans will have the faintest idea what I'm talking about, so let's get back to Nora Dean and see if what he wants to talk about will make any more sense. I'm sure it will. See you at full time. Come on, you Reds. Um, number three is it's definitely something that you will be able to speak about better than I ever could. But I, I just love witnessing it. And and, and it kind of it's funny because it kind of relates to us organizing this call because we decided to do it at this time because uh, you'll be looking after your grandchildren. That's right. Yeah. And the next thing on my list is the relationship between a grandparent and grandchild. Oh, are you in that position yet? I'm not. And I, I don't even have kids, but um, oh. I see it because I, again, talking about being from an immigrant family, my grandparents lived in Pakistan. They've passed away now. So my experience of them was fleeting. Usually it, it went like this, where I would be a kid getting on with my business on a weekend or whatever, messing around, watching TV or, or playing or playing with a toy. Mm. And then you'd get called into the living room because your parents are talking to your grandparents. <laughs> and it's like, come and speak to your grandparents. So <laughs> it would be, it'd be a really stilted conversation where... They are trying to speak to you. They've obviously got a very sort of thick accent, and you you perhaps don't know that 
you can speak the language, you can understand it, but not that well. So you're trying to, in really bad sort of Urdu or, or Punjabi, trying to speak to them. It's a very sort of um, awkward conversation and you're doing your best to be understood and understand you. Mm. You can hear the love in it, how excited they are to talk to you, mm. even even though the communication is so difficult. And again, in in those in those days, I don't know whether it was just something we did, or it was because of the quality of the line. But you used to have to shout, or we did shout, <laughs> as if like the distance, like like is it evaporates if you just shout loud enough. Yeah, but, um, old people still do that on the phone. <laughs> 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 so it would be so fleeting and, and so uh imperfect those experiences with your grandparents and then i mean and again it's something that i write about in my book that that in the in the specifically in the holidays between primary school and high school i went to pakistan with my sister and the love that i experienced from these people that i hadn't really met before no it was it was incredible, and I spent five or six weeks there, and it was amazing to have that bond with them. And you, and and you kind of thought, this is family that has always been there, and we never really got to enjoy. And it was just incredible to have this instant love, like uh, enveloping you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was it was it was so incredible, and I cherished it so much. And again, I, I write about this in the book, but when we were leaving, I was like 10 or 11 and I was I was crying because I didn't want to leave them. But I, I, I didn't know that that would be the last time that I'd see them. No. So in fact, just that one fleeting five, yeah. six week period, that's all you ever had. Exactly, exactly. Apart from shouted phone calls. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And so that meant so much to me. Well, what's amazing is that it does. Yeah. What's incredible is that there must be other people in your life who you've met for much more than that over your life, and yet they don't hold that sort of affection that, that that family does. It's amazing, really, that you have that awareness and that love. And again, it, it all comes from that that natural love that they have for you. And I think, obviously, in one sense, who's got more love for anyone than a parent has for a child mm-hmm. but there's a special kind of love that a grandparent has for a grandchild and it's not even just the love that they have it's the bond that they have a grandchild has a has a, has a special bond with a grandparent that they will never have with a parent and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they love their parent less or anything but there's almost a pact there's a there's an unsaid pact that a grandparent and a grandchild make that we're on the same team Huh. And sometimes if your if your parent is strict with you or your parent says you can't do this or tells you off for something, the grandparent will always be on the grandchild's side and always be gentler mm-hmm. and always be more loving and always be more understanding. And <laughs> Mine have certainly worked yeah. out that any time they need something, they just have to ask. That's it, that's it. My grandson Freddie said to me, we were going to go to the shop tomorrow and look at the prime which is this drink that all the kids are obsessed with. And he just said it that way. That's all they're going to do. We're just going to go and look at it. <laughs> no, knowing full well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The words that came straight out of my mouth is, how much is it? As I reach for my wallet. You know. I think it's such a beautiful thing. And the thing that makes it special is it's such an uncomplicated love because no one will love you more than your parents. But it will always be a complicated love. Because your parents, by definition, have to say no sometimes and have to be unpopular sometimes because they're doing the right thing. Whereas mm-hmm. the love a grandparent's got for the grandchild and vice versa, like it's uncomplicated. It's it's pure love. And essentially the grandparent doesn't need to grandparents gone through that phase of like having to having to be that person and now can just enjoy it. The great thing is it is a situation that you don't often have with your own children, which is that you can just give yourself over to them, say that this is your time. 
And whatever you want to do, whatever you want to talk about, wherever you want to go, I'm with you. Here we go. What should we do? And they become the leader. And that's very unusual yeah. for children because parents go, well, we can't do that now, darling, because I've got to do the shopping and I must get the watching yeah. on. So it doesn't occur. The other strange thing, and you may not have thought about this, Nuruddin, is that from a grandparent's point of view, with me, I don't know if this is unique because I haven't spoken to other grandparents about it, but suddenly there was a sense in my life when I had children and they reached adulthood and everything that in a way that was their life going on. It was fine. And in a way, I'd, I'd done my bit. It's lovely to be there. It's lovely to see what happens to them and love to be part of it. But if I went, they'd had me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I've now, once grandchildren came into my life, the moment that happened, suddenly I thought, I have to try and live as long as I possibly can so that I am something in their life. And it's interesting that you say about only seeing your grandparents for five weeks, because I've always assumed that if I can just pump the hours in, as it were, that when they get to midlife and I'm not here anymore, they'll have a lot of memories of me. They'll have things that they can say, oh, my granddad did that, or I remember my granddad saying this. I want to be part of their life, but even when I'm gone. That's a beautiful thing. I think it's the right way to look at things because you can spend decades in somebody's life and not be there for them emotionally or not give them those moments. Mm. Or you can give them as much as you can yeah. in a period of time. And, and 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 that, I think it's a beautiful sentiment just to think, however long I've got, I'm going to squeeze every moment out of it. And then you live on. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat selfish, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's, I, I, I don't look at it as selfish because I, I, I look at it, I look at that as giving your grandchildren a gift of memories that they will always cherish and always know that they, they will have tough times in their life and they will have times where they feel sometimes almost worthless in terms of like, uh, again, going back to going back to Jimmy Stewart films of like, like, what am I doing? No one believes in me. No one cares if I succeed or fail. But then they can always remember there was at least one person who loved me more than anything just for who I was, but who believed in me more than anything and who had this amount of love for me and that's its own strength. And 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 it can give somebody, even after you've gone, it can give somebody a feeling of I am worth something because this person who may no longer be with me, they loved me in such a pure way that I didn't need to achieve anything. I didn't need to do anything to win their love. They were just so enamored with me just for being me. So huh. I think it's a yeah, I think it's a gift you're giving someone. I don't think it's selfish because when you're gone, you're gone. You don't you won't know if you're still talked about, but it's it's for the benefit of the person who will talk about you. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to move on before I start sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's beautiful. Okay, yeah. that's three things we put in, Nuradine. Yeah. So we've got one more good thing and yeah. one thing you'd like to get rid of which you can do in any yeah. order you like um well it, well i mean it kind of links into what we've been talking about previously funny enough the last good thing is the selfless good act and i talk about this that specifically because a it's very it's actually very hard to do because it's human nature whenever you do a good thing you want to tell somebody <laughs> and, and 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 you want that pat on the back yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that like like say 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 if you if you went out now and there was there was someone in distress. You helped them. You calmed them down. You, you, you sort of took them in somewhere, gave them a glass of water, helped them out, put them in sort of touch with the right people, and there that was your good deed done. That is a selfless act. 
However, like you'd you'd come home and you'd tell your wife, and like you'd want this, you want your wife to say like, "Oh, that was such a nice thing to do." Oh, you are lovely. <laughs> that's exactly it. I don't think that makes it not. No, a it doesn't like, negate it. When you did it, it yeah. you did it because you were thinking about that person. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it doesn't negate it at all. Um, but um, I suppose what I'm thinking of when I say that is when you hear about someone like a celebrity. It'll be a celebrity because. That's how who we most tend to know as a collective, mm. and it'll be it'll be someone like Sinead O'Connor or it'll be someone like George Michael that people admire and they love and they respect for what they believed in and they they admire for their, their the art that they produced. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be there'll be these little stories that almost mean more mm. where they quietly did something good and they didn't want anyone to know they didn't want it to be publicised in any way and they just did it. It's most evident in situations where people have these little anecdotes that the person involved didn't want to get out in a way. Mm. But it's it's also sometimes you see in its purest form in the way that humans act towards animals. It can be as big as like saving them when they're in peril, mm. or it can be it can be as as kind as we had a an old neighbor, an elderly woman who th- th- this this cat would obviously as they, as cats do started <laughs> hanging about and 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 she, she she was she was very frail. You could tell that it was a struggle for her, but she'd always leave out like a saucer of milk and mm-hmm. and again, obviously that wasn't to show anyone, but it was just a selfless act because and again, like the, I think the reason why selfless acts towards animals are so evident is because in a lot of ways animals can be defenseless yeah and i think i think again it's that it goes back to think that thing about it being an uncomplicated love of this creature needs help and i want to help that 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 creature yeah yeah that's a real example of doing something and the only payback you'd get from that would be the knowledge that you were doing it that's it and and and, and like the the amount of time because I'm Muslim, so that's my whole belief system. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I strive to be a better Muslim, uh, and the most important thing for me is to be a good person. Uh, I think, I think for any faith or or, or any any sort of um, belief system, or lack, like, like even just a sense of humanity, mm-hmm. it's to be a good person. And if you are a good person, you are a good Hindu or a good Jewish person or a good Muslim. Like you just are. Like that's the that's the fundamental of being a good person. But, yeah. So trying and failing every day to be a good Muslim. I will sometimes see somebody do something good or or I will hear about somebody who selflessly donated to a good cause without without wanting to anyone to know or did a good thing without any without without wanting anyone to know. Mm-hmm. And I and I look at them and I think in my mind you are a better Muslim than I will ever be. And it's that thing of just doing good. And I think there's all sorts of things that are negative or dangerous about anything that's organised and anything that's got power. Mm. And 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 religion often has a lot of power and a lot of influence and an and organised religion has a lot of unchecked power. Yeah, so, and it, it can be easily distorted by people who want to. Exactly. Exa- exactly. But in its purest form, it's such a, I think, I think religion and faith as a whole, it is and should be such a personal thing, and it it, it all comes down to, to to being a good person. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, like like I, I, like I just think a selfless act is an amazing thing. Yeah, and Moses went up into the mountain. He came back with a very small tablet that said, "Be good." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, yes, my last thing <laughs> is going to it's going to seem like such a contradiction because. We've just been talking about be good. If if there's a mantra that's that sort of encapsulates everything that everyone should be, it's be good. The thing that I've put in that annoys me is be kind. Mm. Because 
those two words, I think, have been bastardized out of all proportion and uh, have lost all meaning because, and it's a little bit like woke. So woke was originally it came from black communities and it was something to basically say, be awake, be aware, mm-hmm. because in this world where there's racism and people sort of acting in sort of dishonest ways and people being unfair and cruel, be aware of these situations happening and be aware of what's happening. So be woke. Yeah. But it's been bastardized and twisted to such an extent that it's it's an insult now. It's people use it as like this sort of vague idea of like PC gone mad and, and people being unreasonable and mm. people moaning for the sake of moaning. And again, like so much of it is 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 by politicians. <laughs> yes. And that annoys me so much because essentially politicians will will sort of be pushing for something that's so selfish and cruel. And then their defense will be anyone who complains about it is being woke. Yeah. Whatever that means, it's it, it's it's a nonsense now. And similarly, the reason why the phrase be kind annoys me is that in a pure and honest sense, it's a great sentiment. Just be kind. Like that's a that's a great mantra to have in life. Mm. But it's been twisted as a defense mechanism against anyone who criticizes anything or is angry about anything. It's perfectly fine to disagree with someone, and it's perfectly fine to voice that disagreement, I think. The fact that people react to it in the sense of, how dare you? How dare you disagree with me? Yeah, and I think it feels like a negative emotion. It's such a powerful and important thing to be angry sometimes. I think righteous anger is so important because if we live in this world which is so unequal and unfair and people are being so selfish and people are being so sort of uh, victimised that if you're not angry about certain things, then I think you're missing a part of your soul because the reason you're getting angry is because it's unfair and the reason you get angry is because people are being treated horrendously and people are, in some cases, dying and starving to death and basically dying in the cold mm. as, as old people because other people that are in power do not care and other people who are in power knowingly allow that to happen. And if yeah. you're not angry about that, then why not? Well, quite. Yes, that should make you furious, because there is without a doubt, there's no question about it, that there is enough money in the world where people say, we haven't got a money tree. You go, no, but you do have the money. There's enough money for people to build their own spaceships. And that's ridiculous. And if we have that amount of money, we do have enough money to educate those children, to house them, to provide them with health care. There shouldn't be a single person on the earth who needs those things. We are perfectly capable as the human race to provide those things, but we yeah. choose not to. And it is a choice. And that ought to make us angry. I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but um, when I hear about how nurses and teachers specifically are treated mm. and when they just want to not have to use a food bank to get, get, to get by or just want sort of some kind of... Um, livable wage and and an existence that's appreciated and to improve their jobs people don't realize that people strike and take industrial action because they it's not just about money it's about just being able to do the job that they love Mm -hmm. it makes me so angry and again it's that idea of everything is a game that's got no consequences so politicians will then say things and twist things to make out that nurses and doctors and teachers are the bad ones and they're the ones you should hate and they're the ones you should direct your anger towards and that kind of thing i mean there's so many things in life that make me angry and upset but i think it's important to be angry and upset and i think it's important to challenge people 
who are in power that are doing these things. Because otherwise, you have a situation where people need your support and need your voice mm. and they don't get it. But also, the people who are doing these callous things and uh, allowing these situations to happen, they, they're getting away with it without any recrimination or, yeah. or any challenge. And this whole idea of um, be kind, sometimes it can be as infuriating as so a politician is is doing nothing about children starving. So you've got literal children starving and they're doing nothing about it or they're blocking help that could go to those children. Mm -hmm. And if you swear or you say this is fucking ridiculous or how can you be such a prick, they will jump on the fact that you've sworn yeah. as if it's as if it's worse than allowing a child to starve. Yeah, quite. There are some times in life when the person you're talking to deserves someone to be rude to them. Absolutely. To tell them that they're a shit. Yeah. If you hold more truck in manners and whether somebody swears or not, rather than an old person who's paid their taxes all their life and they are dying because they had to choose between food and heat, mm. then you've got your priorities mixed up. Yes. Where is the altruistic act? Amongst them, yes, yeah, quite, exactly. yeah. So. Nuruddin, I'm in complete agreement with you. If anybody had any doubts, <laughs> I don't think they do. I can sense the anger sometimes. Like um, <laughs> you've spoken about previous and current prime ministers, where you've said just enough to, to sort of uh, <laughs> make it obvious how you feel. Have I held myself back a bit? I think I have. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't <laughs> but, really but, but let it's, go it's, yet. But it's clear how you feel, and, and 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 I love that. And it's always to do with that injustice, I think. It's always to do with that unfairness. I don't think yeah. the world shouldn't be unfair. There's no reason why it should be, because we there is plenty for everyone. Yeah. All we have to do is organise ourselves and stop all those people who are seeing it as a great scramble to grab that wealth for themselves and keep it. And it's mine, it's mine. We should be saying to them, well, actually, I'm sorry, you can't have it all. You just can't. That's exactly it's not it. fair. It's not fair. So be good. Be good. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you've really cheered me up. I try not to. I try to look at the reviews we get occasionally, and people write most beautiful reviews. And in amongst all these lovely things that people have said about my podcast, you'll always get one who just doesn't like it. And that's fair enough. But um, the criticism was, when I first listened to this podcast, I quite liked it. But now it's just become Mike Fenton Stevens talking to his lovely friends, mostly about himself. And I go, hmm, oh, is that true? Is that true? Am I doing that? And I think this episode shows that I'm not. The criticism that is, is in any way about you, I find that weird because that's the opposite of, of what it is. I, I think you're incredibly interested in whoever you're speaking to. Well, that's lovely. Um, that's right, I've forgotten your name. What is it? Harvey. <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> it's my friend <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Noradine Chowdhury. Now, in case you were worried, United managed to blow a healthy lead and just hung on for a draw. Now, that's code for they're playing shit at the moment. Anyway, you don't have to worry about that because you have lots more episodes of My Time Capsule available for your listening pleasure. And if you subscribe, we'll send you all new ones as they're released. A bit like signing a new star player just before the transfer window closes. Yeah, I know some of you still haven't the faintest idea. Still, please do sing your praise from the terraces by writing a short review or rating this podcast. And if you're a real fan and would like to wear one of our scarves, as it were, you can download the theme 
Sing tune, written and performed by Pass the Peas Music. You can find that on Spotify. Do follow me and my time capsule on social media, sort of like buying the fanzine, I suppose. Or not. And if you want to be a season ticket holder and support this podcast, then perhaps you'd like to look at Acast Plus. Link in the description of this episode. This has been a cast off production, and that production was done by John Fenton Stevens, or as we call him, yeah, I say we, there's only me, but I can dream. Anyway, I call him the governor. Right, I've got to go. All this football talk has given me a headache. I think I need to take a couple of acetyl salicylic acid tablets. Or as most people call acetyl salicylic acid tablets. Oh no, what was it? Hang on a second, I've got to Google it. Um, ah, that's it. <laughs> Aspirin. I never can remember that name. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.